This is Ideas Worth Exploring by Mark McDonald. The other day, I read that a kitchen sponge used for washing dishes can have 45 billion bacteria per cubic centimeter. That's more than the inside of a toilet bowl. Quite a bit more, actually. Each of those bacteria is a living organism. It eats, it releases waste, and it reproduces, creating more bacteria. But how can something that small be considered alive? And how is it able to make more bacteria to reproduce? We've tried to make robots that reproduce, but it hasn't worked very well, because it would require a very complex set of self-referential instructions. You try it. Think of a set of instructions that can be used to create some, that same set of instructions. The easiest example I can think of is the phrase, write down this sentence. If someone follows those instructions, then the result will be another copy of write down this sentence. That's the idea of what a self-reproducing robot would need to do. But it, was all, it would also have to have instructions for how to write. So it would end up being something like this. This is what it means to write. Now write down the instructions for how to write, and then write down this sentence. Except, in addition to just the instructions, it also needs to build a body that can carry out the instructions. So it would end up being more like, this is how you build a robot. Now this is how to write instructions for it to follow. Now build a robot, then give it instructions for how to build a robot, then instructions for how to write instructions, then instruct it to write down this sentence. It gets kind of complicated, but bacteria can reproduce, and they are many times smaller than the width of a hair. How do they know what to do? The answer is DNA. But we need a bit of background first. First piece of background, cells. All living things are made of cells. A cell is a bunch of different types of biological molecules all bound up in a membrane. Bacteria are made of just a single cell. Larger things like animals and plants are made of many cells that work together, but each cell can be considered a living thing on its own. So in a way, you could say that you don't just have one body, but about 30 trillion different living cells working together. Here's a shower thought for you. Your saliva contains a few of your cheek cells floating in it. When you eat or drink, you swallow those cells. Does that make you a self-cannibal? Second piece of background. If you've listened to the previous two episodes, then you might have predicted this already. We need to talk about a certain question, and that question is, what did Aristotle think about biology? Well, here's the answer. Aristotle was quite the biologist. His writings on biology, which account for over a fourth of all his surviving writings, include detailed descriptions of many types of mammals, birds, and fish. He names over 500 of them. He was very interested in observing nature and finding out how animals work, and he was also involved in many dissections. In fact, Aristotle may be considered to be the earliest scientist whose written work still survives. Some of his zoological observations are very valuable for modern zoologists to understand what animals were like 2,000 years ago, but I want to focus instead on his ideas of reproduction and inheritance. Aristotle, like others before him, believe that children inherit characteristics from their parents. That's fairly obvious. Traits such as eye color and hair color of children usually resemble the traits of their parents. But Aristotle and others also believed that traits acquired by parents during their lifetime were inherited by children. For example, he thought that if a parent got a scar, then the child would be born with a birthmark in the same place. Does that sound right to you? I'll tell you right now, it generally doesn't happen. But people believed in this idea of inheritance of acquired characteristics for 2,000 years. I mean, it makes a little bit of sense. The classic example of this idea is a giraffe. The thought goes like this. 
A giraffe stretches its neck to try to reach leaves on tall branches, which causes the neck to get slightly longer. Then the extra long neck is passed on to the giraffe's children, and the cycle repeats until you have a neck the size of a refrigerator. It makes sense, doesn't it? An idea that makes that much sense isn't allowed to be wrong. But sadly, it's wrong. Your neck doesn't get any longer when you try to stretch it. You won't get noticeably taller by hanging from the monkey bars, and even if you somehow managed it, your increased size wouldn't be passed on to your children. In fact, all of the information for the traits you will pass on to your children was already in you from the moment you were born. It's all there in your DNA. I'm going to repeat that to make sure you caught it. All of the information for traits such as hair color and eye color that you will pass on to your children was present in your DNA from the moment you were born. In fact, there's a copy of your entire library of DNA in every cell of your body. That means that it's theoretically possible to clone you from a piece of your skin or hair, though that would probably be pretty far in the future. Don't mistake me, cloning isn't the stuff of the distant future. We can already do cloning right now. But making a clone from skin or hair DNA would be a, a little more difficult because reasons, but it's still theoretically possible. In fact, all of your genetic information is stored in a cell nucleus less than 10 micrometers in diameter. They're small enough that the best optical microscopes can just barely get a clear picture of them. This information is stored in a molecule called DNA, which stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. Yes, DNA is technically an acid, like vinegar or lemon juice, but it isn't helpful to think of it like that. DNA is actually a bunch of special sugars linked together in a long chain. If you get enough DNA together to be able to see it, it looks like a gooey white stringy mess. You can do it as a fun science project. Just Google strawberry DNA extraction. Anyways, a single strand of DNA is too small to see with any optical microscope. We can only see it when a bunch of it is gathered together or when with a very expensive electron microscope. Here's another random DNA fact. If you took all the DNA from a single cell and stretched it out in a line, it would be six feet long. But if you took all the DNA in your body and stretched it out in a line, it would be twice the diameter of the solar system. There are just that many cells in your body. Also, if you took all the DNA from your body and stretched it out in a line, you would die. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a guy named Charles Darwin? Maybe you've heard that he had a pet beagle and that he lived that believed that people evolved from monkeys. Well, first of all, that's not what he believed, but we'll save that for another episode when we talk about evolution. Darwin was one of the most influential scientists to ever live, and he did a lot of great work. But here I want to talk about something he got wrong. Darwin believed that heritable information was collected from all over the body before being passed on to offspring. So information for a child's arm came from his father's arm and his mother's arm. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? But to test a hypothesis like that, you have to think through the consequences of that belief and make predictions. This hypothesis predicts that two one-armed parents would never be able to produce a two-armed child. Do you believe that? It turns out it's wrong. The information to build a child doesn't come from throughout the whole body of each parent. All the information needed to build a child comes from a single reproductive cell from the father and a single reproductive cell from the mother. These two cells combine into a fertilized egg called a zygote. A zygote is just a single cell. You were once a single cellular organism. Then that cell divides and divides some more until it forms an embryo, which grows and develops until it has a chance to be born as a new baby. One more piece of trivia before we go on. An egg is the name of the female reproductive cell, 
That's exactly what a bird egg is. The yolk of a bird egg is just a single cell, which would make an ostrich egg the largest cell in the world. But back to DNA. If you know anything about DNA, you probably know it's a double helix shape, like two spiral staircases running around each other in opposite directions, and something that looks like rungs of a ladder connecting the two strands. But discovering the double helix was a big revelation. Early on, they just knew that all living things had a lot of this molecule called DNA, which was made of sugar stacked on, stacked on top of each other with some extra bits. But then Rosalind Franklin and her graduate student managed to take a photo of DNA using a technique called X-ray crystallography, where basically you turn the DNA into a crystal-like gel, shoot X-rays at it, and take a photo of how the X-rays bounce off. The photo is shown to their colleagues named Watson and Crick, without Franklin's permission, and they were able to interpret the pattern they saw in the photo as the shape of a double helix. They eventually won a Nobel Prize for it. Franklin might have shared the Nobel Prize with them, but she'd already died of ovarian cancer four years earlier, so we'll never know if she would have been recognized or not. The poor graduate student was completely forgotten. I don't even remember his name. Anyway, DNA is a double helix. The double helix shape gave an answer to the question that was on everyone's mind. How does DNA copy itself? I mentioned before that DNA is made of sugars stacked on top of each other with some extra bits. It turns out that those extra bits are pretty important. They're called nucleotide bases. They form the rungs of the ladder that connect the two strands of the double helix. And they're how genetic information is stored. The bases come in four different types, and you can think of each of the four bases as a letter of the alphabet. The genetic code is really just those four letters arranged in different orders, like an entire language written with only four letters. But here's the important part. Each of the four bases likes to pair with its complement. A pairs with T, and T pairs with A. G pairs with C, and C pairs with G. When the base finds the one it wants to pair with, they stick together like Legos. They're actually hydrogen bonds if you're into chemistry. The strands of the double helix are made of sugars that are bonded together much more strongly, but the rungs of the ladder only have the Lego bonds keeping the two strands attached to each other. But what if those Lego bonds get broken? That would be a bad thing, right? Nope, that's actually the very key to how DNA copies itself. If those bonds break and the two strands get separated, then you can recover the original message from either one of the strands. For example, you start with an AAA paired to a TTT. Remember that A's only paired with T's and T's only pair with A's. You can unzip the two strands and separate them, but your body will find free-floating nucleotides for them to pair up with until AAA pairs with three T's and TTT pairs with three A's. The result? Two identical copies of what you started with. That's how DNA replicates. Congratulations! You now know the answer to one of the most profound mysteries of life. Aristotle would be so jealous. There's a lot more that we could talk about with how your body reads the genetic code from your DNA and uses it to make proteins, but I'm going to save that for another day. But I want to talk for 60 seconds about cloning. Animal cloning is when you take the DNA from an animal and use it to make a baby with all the same genetic information as the parent, like a twin born at a later date. Cloning is something that we already know how to do. There's a company in Texas that will clone your pet for you, if you so desire, and give you a baby animal with the same DNA as your pet, and therefore all the same traits, such as appearance and personality. That company only does dogs and cats, but scientists have also been able to clone other animals, including monkeys. So that raises the question, 
Could you clone a human being? The answer is probably yes. But there are some major ethical questions that we need to figure out before we let people start cloning humans. It's not totally out of the picture, though. The main thing holding back human cloning, other than the questions of is it right and is it safe, is the question of why would we even want to? As of right now, there isn't really a compelling reason to want to make babies with the exact same DNA as their parents. So even though cloning is possible, for now, human cloning is going to stay in the realm of science fiction. Well, that was an introduction to DNA. I hope to talk about DNA and inheritance more in the future, but you're probably already ready to be done for now. But first, I'm going to end with a joke. It goes like this. My friend said, I don't understand the science behind cloning. I told him that makes two of us. But now you can say that you do understand the science behind cloning. You can tell your friend that you just take the DNA from a single cell of their body and use it to make a baby that is an identical twin of its parent. Yes, there are some more steps involved, but once you understand what DNA is, all the rest of it starts to make sense too. That's the power of understanding DNA. I hope you learned something today. Next time I'll be talking about electricity and magnetism. Peace. This has been Ideas Worth Exploring by Mark McDonald.